We have two very special guests today. We have Amanda Young and her mother, Jean Young. And Amanda is at TCU in Texas and is also in a doctoral program with me. And she works with, um, she specializes with kids with Down syndrome. We're going to talk to her a little bit about that. And her mother, Jean, is also an APE teacher and she's in San Diego County. And um, we're going to talk to them. we got a mother and daughter uh, duo here, and we want to find out a little bit about uh, what drove them into APE as all, you know, individually and as a unit, and talk to them a little bit more about Amanda's research project with Down syndrome and communication uh, with parents and activity logs with kids with Down syndrome. Well, welcome, ladies, and Hello. Good morning. Good Thanks morning. for having us, Scott. We're happy to be here. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you here. Thank you. Let me just start off with asking how how did a mother and daughter be, both become APE teachers? Because this is a first I've heard of this uh, situation. Uh, we're a small field already, adapted physical education, and how do we get a mother and daughter? Well, uh, it started out very kind of random with me. I was substituting in my school district, and um, somebody from the district noticed that I had a PE credential, and they said, oh, we, uh, we're really in need of adapted PE teacher. Are you interested? And I said, well, what's an adapted PE teacher? <laughs> and so I was working as an instructional aide, uh, and I had seen another lady working with some of our kids and doing PE things. And so I said, well, is that what, you know, is that what she's doing? Is that adaptive PE? And, and, you know, kind of long story short, I just said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And went ahead and, and finished my credential. Um, I had just had my teaching credential. I didn't have a APE specialist credential yet. So did that and, you know, started working. And it was just something I've just absolutely loved the minute I started working. You know, and then um, when I growing up, I was able to go with my mom to some of her schools, especially during the summer when they did summer school. Mm -hmm. So I was able to tag along and just kind of play with the kids and had a great time. Uh, when it was time for me to go to college, I I knew I wanted to be a teacher, not really sure what kind. And then I thought, you know, it's silly for me to be any other kind than an APE teacher, so why not? So I did my undergrad degree uh, in just regular ed PE. Uh, at TCU, and then followed up with my master's in APE at Texas Women's University, and continuing on with my PhD. And you happened to get do your work study at TCU. At TCU. So in TCU yeah. is really special. They have these two lab schools on campus. One of them is a early intervention center for children with Down syndrome, uh, eighteen year or eighteen months to six years. And then they have another school called Starpoint that has uh, services first through sixth graders with learning disabilities. So in my undergraduate degree, I was able to go over there and work with the kids and kind of get practicum hours um, just working with students with disabilities. And then after I graduated, they decided to turn that PE job into a full-time position. So it wasn't just a student 
position anymore. It was going to be a full-time position um, because they kind of figured out PE is really important and it'd be great to have a person here all the time. So I uh, applied for the job and I got it. That's incredible. So right when you're finishing your work study that they made a position open for you? Well, it was a year and a half later. So I had to stop in the fall and then do my student teaching elsewhere um, in the public schools. So I did my student teaching and then I graduated. And then like any typical college graduate, I decided to go to Europe for a while and (laughs) not have a full-time job. So I did that. And then when I came back, they made it a full-time position. Wow. And it seems like such a great position because it seems so flexible. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's all in one building. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to travel like a bunch of the itinerant APE teachers. It's a little different, but Mm -hmm. but it's really special. I wanted to know a little bit more about uh, what um, different populations of students that you're working with in your school. Typically, I have the majority of um, our critical skills, you know, students with uh, profound needs, you know, uh, CP, autism, down syndrome, you you know, I've got the gamut. And I actually work from preschool age all the way up to age 18. So, um, you know, it's something different every single day. And like Amanda says, she's got one building. Well, I've got six different schools that I go to. So I travel and have all my equipment in my car. Yeah. yeah it's a little sure. different, a little different than hers, but a lot of fun. Yes. Yes. Amanda's kind of in a little bit of an ideal spot with that TCU. And <laughs> no kidding. Yes. With her own her own gym and everything. I mean, I when I go and visit, I usually always am able to sit in on some of her classes and I just, oh, look at all this equipment. Oh, look at this facility. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I haven't been out to see it either and really like to come out and see it one day. Come on over. Mm-hmm. So... Gina, I have a question. I'm just like, you know, how has the field changed? Um, you know, you have a perspective of man as well as growing up. I don't know how integrated you were into the field, you know, early on as a, as a child, but how have things changed in the last 20 or 30 years in APE? Um, well, it's, I think the major change that I see specifically are the, the addition to advocates and lawyers involved in the families. Um, it just makes it a little more difficult, you know, with data keeping and, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting that's, uh, you know, takes away our time from the kids, which is kind of a bummer. But that's probably the the biggest thing that I see. I think that's kind of changed the most. Yeah, and I, I kind of served as like a peer buddy, I guess, when I was younger with the kids. But I think one of the coolest changes is just the um, – just the new things that are coming around, new equipment, new technologies, new new things for us to be able to really do with these kids and to help them, you know, find success in a physical activity setting, which is really fun. Oh, yeah. And, and in a positive note, you know, more best buddies clubs, mm-hmm. more um, inclusion and more acceptance in our students' populations for sure. Yeah. That's something I, I've uh, seen and heard is that the general ed kids don't treat – um, you know, special ed kids, quote unquote, um, in such a negative way anymore. So that's not. All right. So I want to move on and I want to talk a little bit about um, Amanda's research that she's planning on doing. She just finished her comp. So congratulations. And she's going, in, going into her dissertation. And um, Amanda, if you could quickly talk to us about what it is that you're looking at researching. And then I have a few questions for both of you on that. 
Perfect. Yeah, sure thing. So our kids, the kids, um, my students with Down syndrome that I serve, they start with us at 18 months, which is super, super young. And we're actually fortunate enough to get APE every day for 30 minutes, which is huge. So all my little babes, there's three different classes, our one and two-year-olds, our three and four-year-olds, and then our five and six-year-olds. And they come to PE every day. They get two unstructured outside uh, recesses every day. So their development is pretty far along. But most students who are that age with Down syndrome or with some kind of intellectual disability are not getting the services that my Mm -hmm. students are getting. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is kind of develop this program or this just to see if, if I can teach parents how to work with their kids, then can parents be the quote-unquote service providers for their students at home. So we want to take everyday um, activities and kind of put it into a learning piece so that our kids are always learning, are always just kind of gaining things that they need that kind of don't come second nature to our students. Mm -hmm. So kids with Down syndrome um, usually have a developmental delay and their gross motor functioning is delayed as well. So when when their parents can work with them at home, I'm hoping that their development will increase. So, you know, the more they play, the more they get outside and move their bodies, the further their development will be. So we're going to break it down into different locomotor skills and uh, move, uh, object control skills and kind of just see if we can focus on like one skill a week. Uh, see if their parents can really do actually what we're quoting as homework, then see if that really um, affects their development and increases it. So the way I'm going to show them this homework activity, there's going to be two ways that we're going to compare. So we're going to have one group get picture cards of activities. So if the activity is jumping, then they'll get like a picture card of jumping and say, this is what you guys are going to be working on this week. And then another group is going to get a video of me kind of doing demonstrations and explaining, um, you know, they're not just jumping. What we want to see is we want to see the flex in the knee. We want to see the arms go back. We want to see the lift off and, you know, all these things that parents wouldn't necessarily think of when they're teaching their kids to jump. Uh, one of the criteria that we're looking at is running. And when I've spoken with a bunch of our, like our classroom teachers about running, some of the teachers think that the kids are running, but really they're not running because we all know that there has to be an in-flight phase to running. So if the students do not have that in-flight phase, then we can't call it running. Although it may look like running to um, a parent or to another teacher. So uh, one of the teachers said to me, well, you know, she's running away from me, so that's got to be running, right? Well, no, it's not really running. Um, So what I really want to do is kind of just help educate the parents as to what these skills look like and what they're trying to aim for. And I've actually kind of had a lot of success with this. One of my students um, a few years ago was very high functioning, and he, um, he was really trying to skip. And so I saw his parents one time, and I was like, yeah, you, I want you guys to try to practice skipping at home. And she was like, well, I mean, what do you mean? What's a skip? And then like, all you, I had to do was break it down to a step hop. She was like, that's a skip? A step hop? Yeah, I mean, that's it. Step hop, step hop, you know? So if I can help educate the parents, then they can turn, you know, a walk to a park into this huge gross motor development practice. And it's just stuff that they're doing anyways. Mm-hmm. Have the student balance on the sidewalk. Have them jump over the cracks in the sidewalk. You know, all these little things that they can be doing um, 
that I just want to help them do. And learn about, right. Yeah. It's a very interesting uh, topic that you're working on, and it's something I'm really interested in as well as the homework logs uh, and, you know, communication with the parents and digital, using our digital resources that are so available to us now. But I want to know for both of you, um, and you're both in very different settings with different populations, how do you utilize or do you utilize homework right now, and how do you do that? I do. um, uh, One thing that my schools both really do is social media, which is great. So sometimes, like if we're working on something in class, and I'll take a picture and post it on social media and say, this is what we're practicing in class. Maybe you can try it at home. Or um, like for my older students with learning disabilities, if we're doing a unit on football and then all my students go to the TCU football game, then I'll say, okay, look look for this. What do you see? And then the parents will comment on my post and say, oh, we saw this, we saw that, which is really cool. Like we're running routes. Oh, I saw this guy run a post. Like <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome that you can go to a football game and see that and be able to tell me that that's what you saw. Mm-hmm. So I don't really send home, you know, paper, pencil homework ever. Um, we just do kind of more activity stuff. Sometimes we'll do like an activity log over Christmas break. Um, I didn't do that this year, but I've done it in the past. So anything to just kind of really get the parents involved is really what helps with our kids with disabilities. Right. And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really consider us doing, or myself and my classes doing homework, but at every IEP meeting, I have resources for the parents, you know, Here's a YMCA flyer. Here's a, you know, Best Buddies flyer. If you can contact them and do, you know, things outside of school, that's huge. Anything you can do outside of school, you know, we always encourage extra activity outside. Yeah, and that's huge for the recreation piece as well. So getting the families involved in the outside recreation, like in community involvement, that's awesome. We do that too. Very cool. Well, as we talk about homework, you know, that's communication as well and, and talking to them and getting that input and uh, with the parents and making them realize that PE is important for their child. I have, a you know, two questions really. And so for the homework logs or homework in general for PE, do you think it's harder to get homework done uh, or utilize it because of parent communication for APE or PE teachers? I think... I think at the beginning, it'll be hard because no parent is going to want to spend extra time on PE homework when they already have mounds and mounds of homework in other classes um, and things that are more uh, just more involved. Mm -hmm. However, our students with the more severe disabilities, homework is a perfect way to get these parents involved with their kids at home, Mm -hmm. like play a game. I don't know, do push-up hockey, do Mm -hmm. anything with your kid. So often our parents ask us, what are some great apps for our kids? Okay, and our teachers always say, an app is only good if you sit down and you're doing it with your child. It's not something that you can download and hand them and have them, you know, distracted for 30 minutes. That's not the point. There are tons of great educational apps out there, but... You know, our kids, okay, they see an app and they're just going to click the buttons and they're not even counting or they're not tracing the letters. They're just going to touch, 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 mm-hmm. touch. So if you if take the time to sit down with them and be involved with them, that's really what matters. And mm-hmm. I think that's easy to do with PE. Mm-hmm. We just have to support it. 
parent communication, how do you already utilize that? How do you communicate with the parents on a regular basis? Our students have, um, we're such a small school that it's a little different, but our students all get daily notebooks that the teachers write in. And I try to make a point every so often to just kind of write a note like, oh, this kid did great in PE today. He was a great leader. He, you know, did this and this and this. And just, you know, it's not every time. It's not every kid. It's not every day. But just those little notes kind of help the parents to see, oh, you know, my kid is in PE. Oh yeah, I forgot. (laughs) With all of the other services that they're getting and everything, Mm -hmm. that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, we, I send mass emails and social media is really kind of the best way to get everything out. Like I took a picture of some of my kids cup stacking right before Christmas. And I said, great Christmas gift. If you're looking Mm -hmm. for something, you know, on an educational twist, Mm -hmm. cup stacks. And then the day, I think it was either on Christmas day or the day after one of my parents posted a picture of her son doing cup stacking and tagged me in it and said, Amanda, check this out. And they went from like the 12 cup stacks to like the the massive stack of solo cups, just making a giant (laughs) tower. Well, those kids are getting so much out of that. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've got 60 students on my caseload. So communication with my parents and students, you know, obviously happens uh, once a year during the IEP meeting, but I also try some of the teachers that I have um, have communication logs with all the kids, and like you know, same with Amanda. If something either good or you know bad happened, I try and make sure that I uh, touch base with the parents. And email is pretty much the best way that I communicate with my parents. Great, and and Amanda, the social media that you're using, are you using Facebook, Twitter? We mostly do Facebook. Okay, and you have like a TCU, so you have a school Facebook account? Both of our, no, I I just have a personal one, but we have closed groups that our parents Mm -hmm. are in, so we post in the parents' group so that they can see it. Yeah, and it has, you know, there's, we also have, I guess, an unclosed group that we post a few pictures in too so that people that maybe follow our school can see the cool things that we're doing. Very cool. I love that, the closed group things. I haven't heard that, so that's really cool. It's really nice, for, especially for our parents that really maybe don't want their kids on Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. which is completely understandable. But it's mm-hmm. an easy way to really communicate with our families. Definitely. And, and why do you think that parent communication is uh, so important? Why is that something that you're striving for? Why is that something that, as AP teachers, we need to do? Well, you know, that triangle of parent-child-teacher or parent-child-school is just, you know, you need every piece to really benefit the whole the child as a whole. So if we can, you know, all these teachers are on board. We've already bought in. If we can get the parents to buy into what we're doing, that's just going to make it even better. So the more we can pull the parents in and really get them involved, the better. Right. And, and it's a team, you know, the IEP team. You know, it's not just... Me as a APE teacher, you know, you still have the other service providers as well, speech, OT, PT. And then, again, making sure that the parents realize that we're all a team working together for the same goal, you know, to benefit their child. Then, you know, hopefully they'll buy into that and carry on. Support us. Yeah. So, Amanda... You uh, specialize in working with kids with Down syndrome. And, Jean, have you have you worked with this population as well, kids with Down syndrome? Absolutely. Mine are, uh, you know, more middle and high school age. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to see when I go and visit her and see the little ones and then compare them to my 
you know, almost adult ones, you know, (laughs) it's cute. So I I love working with this population. Um, I just, I just always have, uh, it's one of the first populations I was ever introduced with and I've always loved working with this population. So I want to know, uh, you know, what does a typical day for APE look like for a kid with Down syndrome for, for both of you? Sure. So depending on the class and level of our kids, um, my first class, well, I guess all classes kind of start out. We do some kind of like stretch or yoga, and then we do a locomotor um, like song around the gym, so different locomotor skills. And then we do, we shift to like the lesson focus. So whatever my focus is, that's, you know, I introduce it, I talk about it, I demonstrate, have the kids practice, um, and then break out into individual practice. And for the smaller kids, it's more just like open time. If we're practicing kicking, then we'll get out the soccer balls and they're practicing kicking. Um, I have so much wonderful support at my school that I have me in the classroom. Our class sizes are between 10 and 12, so it's pretty big. But it's me and then two pair educators and a teacher. So four adults. And we um, often have volunteers come in too. So we have a lot of support that we can break out into individual practice and have all of the kids pretty much engaged. Um, with my older kids, my five and six year olds, we I start introducing games. So if we're doing like a throwing thing, then we'll put out cones with um, frisbees on top and get out the yarn balls and you have to try to throw the yarn ball and knock off the frisbee. And they can it's it's amazing that these kids can do structured games like that. I mean we break it down of course, but they can actually do a game and participate in a game. We never do like competitions really, but we're all just working together for the same goal. So um, after we finish the game or the individual time, then we do closure and have all the kids help clean up. And then um, I ask the kids, what what did we practice today? With my younger kids, you know, for throwing, then I'll say, show me your hand. So it's just body part association. If they show me their hand, they get a stamp, which is their reward. My bigger kids, I say, what did we practice? We practice throwing. We're just kicking and they might sign it or they might say it. Either way, they're communicating to me that they understand what we did. Um, these kids are just so bright that it's amazing what they can pick up and what they can do if you have high expectations and if you just really teach them. Mm-hmm. So these kids are just amazing. And we do all kinds of units. Um, I do. I really do a different unit every week, which is amazing. Um, and we just go through different equipment and just really kind of get them used to what they're going to be doing when they get to kindergarten. So in my... my uh school day is a little different, but, you know, having the middle and high school kids, I really try and uh, focus on, you know, each individual needs, but also their participation in the general PE, since in middle school and high school, they have PE pretty much every day. Um, So my typical day is I would go with my groups and I have anywhere between two and 10 students in a class that I would pull if they had direct service, and we would do a warm-up, you know, then we do some running, we do some sit-ups and push-ups, um, we'll do, you know, kind of depends on the month or the time of year. I try and associate, like, in the fall we'll play football, you know, in the spring we'll play, you know, like a softball or baseball game, but obviously modified. You know, we'll have cones, we'll have tees, we'll have... You know, and I'm I'm pretty lucky to be able to have. There's at least um, at least two instructional assistants or peri educators that 
also uh, attend with the students. Um, and sometimes I have uh, peers, yeah, peer buddies also in the class that are TAs or teacher assistants. So, Wow. Um, interesting to hear both sides of that. Uh, always very interesting. I love getting the kids involved into their own uh, PE, you know, general PEs classes as well. Um, you know, kids with Down syndrome, they have unique needs uh, a lot of times. And some of those physical needs, I'm just going to go over those. Um, are being hypotonic, having that low muscle tone, hyperflexible, so they can sometimes hurt themselves from being so flexible, and then also anataxial instability that can um, cause a neck injury that can be pretty severe in a small percentage of kids with Down syndrome, but we don't always know that they have that. So I want to ask just, I know there's that, those physical needs, and then there's the intellectual needs that many of them need as well. So what are some of um, the accommodations or modifications that you're making or doing specifically for kids with Down syndrome? So our kids, um, especially at the young age, they have to go to the doctor every year and really get a heart check because they have a lot of cardiac implications. Um, So once they... Um, They just can, like, sometimes they're born with a hole in their heart or just other kind of cardiac um, issues. And so every year they have to go get that checked. And that's a huge implication for physical activity. Mm -hmm. Um, But as long as they keep up with their doctor, usually when they get to be about five or six, they get the all clear, which is when they leave me and they say, okay, we're good. You know, there's no more holes in the heart or it's healed or we're good. Um, So that's really important. And then the, um, the AI instability for sure. Uh, they, they usually kind of check that every so often, but really at, when they're five or six again, and they either, yes, they have atlanoaxial instability or no, they don't. So if they do, I just have, I, out of my 30 kids, I have one that has AI instability. So it's, it's not very common, but if they do have it, you have to really, really, really think about what you're doing with these kids. No gymnastics, no somersaults, no wrestling, no nothing that puts their neck in a compromised position. Um, so that's definitely something that I would say all APE teachers, please, please, please check yeah. your files and look before you do anything that can put them in that position because we don't want anything bad to happen to them on our account for right. not knowing. Um, but yeah, just the, the hypotonia and the ligamentous laxity is just something that they grow with. And from my perspective, the, we o- I always learned that their, their muscles and their ligaments are like rubber bands. The more they stretch out, the more they're going to stay stretched out. So if at a, starting at a young age, if we can keep them in line as much as possible, that's what we want to do. No W sitting, no folding, no, you know, just keep them together, keep them tight and they'll learn their, their body won't stretch out as much. So um, that's something that we really try to do. And I try to communicate with the parents, you know, we don't want them folded in half. We don't want them sprawling everywhere. So, um, so that's helpful, but I don't think it, really has any implications for our physical activity. Um, they're, you know, they're going to be flexible. They're going to fold in half. They're going to you know, be mm-hmm. little pretzels, mm-hmm. but they can still participate in everything for the most part. All right. So I have some more broad questions now for both of you. You know, I know that you're both extremely passionate APE teachers, and I want to know what it means to you to be an APE teacher. What does that mean for each one of you? You know, it's, and I, I kind of told Amanda this too when she was growing up, I said, if you pick a job that you love, 
you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm sure people have heard that a lot. And it's one of these, this is a job that you love and I'm just having fun and playing with the kids. It just means so much that you do see that um, improvement. You know, some kids maybe won't make as much, but even every little bit that you see is like, look at that. They got that. They can jump or they can hop or they can, you know, stand on one foot or, or they can just hold their head up for 10 seconds. You know, it's just very, very, very rewarding. It's just, it just melts my heart when I see my kids achieving and, you know, that's funny that she said that. That always stands out in my mind when she says, if you love what you do, you're never going to have to work a day in your life. And I love my job. I love being able to go to work every day. And when I open the door to pick up my kids to come to PE, everything stops. And it's Miss Amanda! Miss Amanda's here! And they all come and run and give me hugs. And, oh, you just, you can't beat it. Yeah. And I think something that it's a personality trait is that, you know, if you have a bad day, it's going to happen. But tomorrow's a new day, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how bad it was or, you know, if a kid spit up on your jacket or, you know, whatever. It's it's going to happen. They're kids. They're little kids. And, but, you know, it's just I, I love my job. And, you know, you just have to go with it and just love it and know that you're making a difference in these kids' lives. And like my mom said, the milestones are huge. And my kids starting out at 18 months, some of them don't walk yet. So when they come to PE every day and we're working on core strength and we're working on stability and um, and then they take their first steps, it's like you want to cry every time because this kid just took his first steps and it was, you know, in your class and it's amazing. And just, just to see that and to see the impact that that has on their parents, like these parents who maybe got a terrible diagnosis or, you know, when they gave birth and it was just a sob story that they have a kid with Down syndrome and the doctors are saying how terrible and, you know, it's going to be such a hard life. Well, we don't see it like that. We see it as joy. Congratulations. What an amazing child that you have. Like, this is so special. I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to have him and hold him and, you know, let them experience life to the fullest. Why shouldn't they be able to? So just to kind of have that and to be that and to be there with these families and with these kids is just so, so special. All right. My last question for both of you is just that this special job of being an APE teacher what is like your best story or best experience that you've had on the field in the field? Because usually we have some pretty good ones. They might be heartbreaking or funny, but I always love to hear them. Yeah, I can go. I go first. Yeah. Uh, one of my students, um, I, I spoke about him a little bit earlier. He's just super high functioning. Just this kid, when he was four years old, he could hold like a, a blow up basketball and just sink it in the rim. And we're like, what, dude? This kid's four, he has Down syndrome, and he just, like, sung a basket. Come on, stop it. So he um, was actually fortunate enough to kind of be bumped up to my PE class, my first grade, with my first graders with uh, learning disabilities. So he is six with Down syndrome in a class with seven- and eight-year-olds with learning disabilities, participating in every PE game that we play, every little thing. And he was, like, just on it. He was awesome, and he was keeping up with all of the other kids. He was doing great. So when field day came along, good old field day, I do field day for my kids. And it's like a full legit field day for a long time. You know, it's three or four hours of field day. And he was able to come with us and do it. And he participated in everything. 
with the students, um, I think the only thing that I had to modify was the hurdles, and I had to just lower them down a little bit for him. But everything else he did with his team and just with just the most happy heart. And we end field day with the relay race. So the last, you know, he got to carry the baton for his team and run his relay. And the most special thing was that his captain of his team, which was a sixth grader, ran with him the whole entire way. And then as he was kept running, all the other students came along with him and just finished that race with him all the way to the end. And his dad was actually there to be able to see it. And it was just, it was just, oh, it was so great because he was there participating and he was one of the team and there, like nothing stood out about it. So it, you know, he wasn't different. He wasn't, he was just one of the team. So uh, that was really, I'm really glad you went first. So I had a chance to kind of <laughs> process the question and think through some of my students and, the one that really stands out is um, a student in high school who is totally blind, visually impaired. And the things that we were, that I was able to do with him, um, because he was, you know, in regular ed classes, we kind of had a one-on-one situation uh, once a week that I'd say, okay, what would you like to do today? Let's try, you know, let's try juggling. Uh, you know, how can I juggle? And he was able to start juggling with plastic bags because it made noises and he could hear it and get the rhythm in. We did tennis with the rattle ball just hitting against the wall so he'd hear that ball coming back at him and he was able to swing at the ball. Um, basketball, you know, hitting his, using his cane and hitting at the tap of the, the rim so he could shoot baskets. And we would go into the wrestling room and you know, he would run, you know, he knew how far there was able to, he was able to run. We threw every imaginable ball, you know, footballs and, and basketballs and tennis balls and frisbees and every imaginable ball that he could, you know, get his hand on and, and realize, okay, this is, you know, a frisbee. And, and really his family was very, very supportive and they would, they would hike all over the place. And this, this young man, you know, after he graduated, it's like, wow, you, you know, he didn't, when he, when I started with him as a freshman, he hated PE, hated it. I said, let's make it fun for you. So I had him all four years. And by the end, he's like, you know, I kind of like doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> so it was just one of those stories that, you know, it's, it's something you got to keep working at, keep working at, keep working at. And your influence influences them. So that was that was really exciting for me. Thank you both of you, Amanda and Jean, for being on the show. I uh, really, really appreciate it. Are extremely excited to have you know professionals like yourself that are so um, passionate about the field on the show. So take care, and I hope that your winter and your trip back home uh, goes well, Amanda. Thank you.